All right, thank you. Thanks, Sarah and Stephanie, for leading us in worship. Thank you all for being here. Welcome. Today, we're going to be um, continuing our sermon series on Transformed by Jesus that we've been going through for the last several weeks. We've looked at um, how Jesus transformed Mary, how um, Jesus transformed the, the leper, how he healed the man with the withered hand, how he raised the widow of Nain's son to life, and then last week, Easter, how he rose to life and gives us life, so, and transformed the women and the, the disciples. So we're just continuing that today, and uh, we're looking at Luke 8 um, today. But first of all, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, my story. Uh, I, I received Jesus when I was four years old. My parents had met at Bible school, and so we grew up going to church. And um, I, I remember just vaguely little bits of, of that day that I had gone to a Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher had told a story about Jesus. And when I got home, I told my mom, I, I want to have Jesus in my heart. Right? And so we prayed, and, and from that point, I really, uh, no, nothing has changed. I still want Jesus in my life. Of course, life gets more complicated, right? As you grow up, things aren't uh, quite as easy as they are as a four-year-old. And I found in my mid-30s, when we first moved to Montana, we, um, we were going to church in, in Bozeman, and they had a sermon, and, and it was talking about, what is your story? What is your spiritual story? If somebody asked you, how has Jesus transformed your life, what would you tell them? And they challenged people to actually go home and, and write it out and just have a two or three minute thing about how Jesus had changed your life. And, and it, was, it was actually very discouraging because I thought of, of my life up to that point and I thought, I don't, I don't know that I have a story. I wasn't even that excited about following Jesus. I, I didn't read my Bible regularly. I had always gone to church, right? When there was church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, we went. We went to those services. So I didn't feel distant. I felt close to Jesus, but I didn't feel excited by my faith at all. And so that, that really started... Um, a process of wrestling with God, of, of maybe even being frustrated with God, that here I am, I, I have been following you for what, 30, 30 years at that point, and I and I'm, I'm feel blah, right? And the good news is, is that I knew enough to turn to Jesus, right? And, and I, so I told him my frustrations, but I didn't just stop at telling him my frustrations. I asked him to change me. And this is something my mom, my parents were so helpful in this, but my mom would tell me at times like that, just sometimes you have to pray, God, I want you to make me want to want you. Right? It's, it's a conflict. Right? I, I don't really want to, but I want to want to. And so that's like a couple steps back. Like, God, just make me want to want more of you and want to know you better. So that, that, that was the beginning of, of an interesting process. Because at that point, you don't, you don't really see, it's not like the light bulb goes on and, and suddenly I'm excited. Right? But, but that, was, that was the beginning. So I think our story today really uh, illustrates this really well. And um, let's, well, before, I, before we move into reading Luke 8, uh, I wanted to, there's two, two things about kind of that disillusionment maybe, and, and, and what I, I've looked back on and see as maybe a spiritual lethargy, where I was just maybe spiritually asleep, wasn't really fully awake. But there's, there's 
you can look at it as one way. Maybe I was um, being rebellious or, or disconnected from God because of my own actions, behaviors. That, that might be true. But I think that there's, uh, there was Pastor Aaron Couch had, the, had a, a message once where he talked about that we, we have a calling from God, right? That initial excitement that we have when we meet Jesus. And then there's this middle portion of life before the fulfillment of that calling. And sometimes we find ourselves in that gap. And I, I think there's part of it that was, I was living in that gap where there's growth and there's faithfulness and it may not be exciting and maybe there's just work to be done in that gap. So that, with introspection, I think there was part of that that I just needed to mature uh, as a person, as a Christian, as a follower of God. So we'll get into more, more of, of how God answered my prayers. Uh, but first of all, let's, let's read Luke 8. Um, we're doing the story of... Uh, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years and how she was healed. And we're starting in Luke 8. We're going to be in verse, uh, the second half of verse 42 uh, through verse 48. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds around you surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So there's a few elements to this story. And uh, we're going to look at how the crowd was crushing Jesus and yet somehow denied touching him. We're going to look at the desperate woman who touches him. And Jesus obviously feels her touch as distinct from the crowd. We're going to see maybe why the woman declares in front of him why she touched him. And then we're going to look at just one word of Jesus' response to her. We're going to look at daughter. So the crowds, I, I think this is fascinating to see the crowds following Jesus. And I think this is an illustration maybe of, of my life where I was, I would have said I was close to Jesus. I follow Jesus. And think of the crowds. Um, this is, takes place in the middle of a story where Jesus is going to heal uh, Jairus' daughter. And so people are, are wanting to probably see what happens. I mean, they probably want to um, just hear Jesus teach. There's all sorts of reasons that people wanted to be near Jesus. And yet somehow, somehow with everybody crushing in on him, when he asks, who touched me? They're all like, mm, not me, not me. Don't you just want one person to be like, yeah, yeah I, I kind of bumped you there in, in the back of my elbow. But no, everybody denied it. And yet Peter's like, everybody touched you. But somehow these people were touching Jesus and not being transformed. And I, I thought that was interesting because as I thought of my life, I thought that that kind of was my story, that I wasn't distant from Jesus, but I, I wasn't necessarily transformed by Jesus. And so the questions kind of come, are, are they apathetic? Are they detached? Are they lukewarm? So 
I don't know if, if you find yourselves, I, I think spiritual life is, is like normal life. It's, it's, there's, it's a little bit of a roller coaster that you may find yourself in that portion of life where you're close to Jesus, but maybe you, you feel distant. And I just want to encourage us all to be faithful in those times, right? It's like raising a kid or it's like being married. There's times where you just, you just be faithful because you are a parent or you are a husband or a wife. And that's what Jesus wants from us during those times when you're in the middle, in that gap. And so I think the crowd, at first, as I was looking at this, I was really critical of the crowd. But I think there there are people here who were definitely in their lives transformed by Jesus, and that's why they were following him. But there's also people who maybe later on when you read, many people left Jesus, that they they could have been part of this crowd too. So I think it's a a mixed bag. But compare those people to this woman who comes desperately to touch Jesus. All right? And as we read that, and we'll, we'll read that one section again, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So she was healed immediately. And um, what, what do you think happened there? Picture this. So she's probably unhealthy, probably weak. It says she had been trying to be healed for years. She'd spent all her money on it. But did she just like trip and fall? Like why was she trying to touch Jesus but just barely? Was it a dive at the end? Right? What, what happened here? So before we answer that question, because I think there is an answer for that question, um, let me point out, too, that because of this woman's condition, she would have faced rejection, isolation, poverty, poor health, we've already mentioned. She would have been an outcast. And so this woman, in touching Jesus, it's so much more than just being healed, right? It means being brought back in to family, to community, to synagogue, to um, just to the full life that, that she would all, we would all want. So in answer to some of my prayers, as I started calling out to Jesus, uh, the, what I got into um, hearing from some pastors that taught context so well. And what I learned was, as I had read the Bible, um, although not nearly as much as I should have, and we just we take the, the surface words and we just we read it and it 's amazing right and this is the beauty of the Bible is that a four year old can well maybe not four year old but if it, if a four year old 's told but a ten year old can read this and understand it and be changed right but there 's a depth here in the context, and when I started learning. The, the biblical literacy at this time and the, the chance that this woman knows her text, right? The, the first two-thirds of this Bible is the, the, the Hebrew Scriptures. And, if, and the people knew that. This, that was their textbook, right? It was probably like the Puritans. The, the people knew their text. Well, it turns out, um, and this I was taught by the Bema podcast by Marty Solomon that we used to do a discussion group Friday mornings of, that there's a connection back to the text, that this woman isn't just randomly going to touch Jesus. And I want to look at Malachi, Malachi 4.2. And Malachi, both chapters 3 and 4, are both talking about the Messiah. The beginning of, of Malachi 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And it just goes on to describe what will happen when Messiah comes. So then we get to Malachi 4, verse 2, and it says, But for you who fear my name, 
the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And that, that phrase, it sounds a little cryptic, right? The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing, healing in its wings. Well, the sun of righteousness, there's no doubt, is, is Messiah or God. And uh, God refers to himself as the sun in Psalm 84. I am your sun and your shield. And then he uses that metaphor in a few other places um, where he talks about shining on us. So, so I believe it's, it's right to read that as, as the Messiah. And we would read that as Jesus. That Jesus shall rise with healing in his wings. And this word wings is the word kanaf in Hebrew. And it's not just translated as wings. Where we see this word wings is, where, is um, in Numbers 15.38 and Deuteronomy 22.12. And those two passages are, you shall tie tassels on the wings of your garments, on the kanaf, on the corners. So Jewish men will have tassels on the corners of their garment, on, on the edges. So that word wings is edges or corners. So this, this verse, if the people knew their text, and if this woman knew her text, this verse says, if this Jesus is the Messiah, there will be healing in the edge of his garment. So she's not just accidentally going to try to touch him and then just barely reach. She's intentionally going for this, maybe not even just to be healed, but to say, is this the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for? And that, to me, just revolutionizes this story because knowing the text gave her motivation and gave her hope to see that, th- that this Jesus, if he was the Messiah, would have healing in his wings. So learning, learning, there's so many of these links when you read through the Gospels that are referring back to the Old Testament prophets, to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, to, to the, the whole Old Testament, that it's, it becomes a treasure hunt. And I've heard the Bible described as a diamond, that as you turn it, the different facets reflect the light differently. And so you can just sit and appreciate um, our, how our Bible reveals our God in different ways. So that is, was a beginning of the answer to my prayer to God for what, what is my story? And instead of giving me a story, he revealed to me that, I, that he has his story that I can get excited about, right? How much better is it to be even a part of God's story than to be even just living our own story that we're excited about? So I, that, that's, I think, the beauty of... Her touching the hem of his garment is that she is not even just saying, Jesus, will you heal me? She's saying, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? So, there's, there's things, obviously, to, to, to be learning from this. Like, do we know our text that well? That at a moment when we, when we experience Jesus, we have um, the fullness of what that means. And I, for me, it inspires me to get into the Word. And yet, it's still work, right? There's still a lot of work. There's times when I, don't, I, get, I get behind now in my Bible reading, but I actually have a regular Bible reading plan. But I'll get days behind and then get caught up. Well, a couple months ago, no, it was about one month ago, I was just starting to prepare for this. And, and I had knew about this wings connection. And I was reading Ruth in my regular Bible reading. And I came across in Ruth to Ruth 2, uh, verse 8, um, or 2.12. And it says this. 
The Lord repay you, this is Boaz talking to Ruth, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So that made me perk up. I, I said, oh, here's, the, here's that Kanaf reference again, wings. And then in, in chapter 3, it, it had, uh, in verse, verse 9, it had another reference to that. And it was when, when Ruth went to really almost force a proposal from Boaz. And she says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so I wondered if there was a connection between the wings here in Ruth and the wings in Malachi and then this story in Luke. And as I looked at what Jesus said to her, um, I realized this word daughter, this is the only place that Jesus calls someone daughter. And that has to be significant. And, and when, I thought, when I did a word search, I saw that there's one other place in Judges where a person says, my daughter, whereas first person he's looking at them says, my daughter. But there, the, all the other references to daughter are here. There's eight of them where Naomi and Boaz are calling Ruth, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter. So this is the same kind of biblical literacy that I think the people would have known. When Jesus says daughter, this story of Ruth comes back. And so now... When Jesus says daughter, this woman, she is not, she, she is going back to Ruth and she's saying, oh, Jesus is offering me refuge under God's wings. She is, Jesus is redeeming me like Boaz was redeeming Ruth. So in that single word, there's all this message of come and find refuge in me. I will be your redeemer. Um, and the, the richness to me of what Jesus packs in to, to a single word, uh, it just that, that it overwhelms me. And I, I just love that. Those are the, the little treasures that now, as I read, I'm, I'm looking for those connections. And as, as I learn more, it, it builds, right? You start to learn some things that you can look for and help build. But... This, this, to me, then, as we read through this story in Luke, that contrast, then, between the crowds and this woman's, in, in, um, her intentionality, her desperation, it makes me think about what do we chase, right? What are we intentional about? And I know during my um, wrestling with God, there's lots of times where I, he awakens me to things that I'm chasing that are worthless, right? They may be fun, they may be recreational, but they aren't ultimately him. And, and it, it, it convicts me that I say God is the most important thing in my life, but when you look at how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I spend my energy, that uh, is, is God what gets everything? And the answer is no a lot of the time. But again, we can turn to Jesus and say, God, I want you to help me to want you. And so I want you to consider what are you chasing? Our slogan here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship is passionately following Jesus together. Right? And that says it right there. Is that what we're doing? And I think that's going to look different depending on our places in life and our circumstances. That may be that gap period that doesn't feel exciting, but you are just being faithful to what God has asked you to do. And maybe the fulfillment of what, how you think God will ultimately use you is still in your future. 
The, the illustration I'd like to close with is from Tommy Tenney's book, uh, book called God Chasers. And it's this illustration, this picture of a parent and a child in their backyard. And the child is chasing the parent. But the parent isn't running to get away from the child, right? The parent is running to get caught. And that's how our God is. Our God, even though sometimes it feels like he's moving away from us, he's not trying to get away from us. He's moving so that he can get caught. And he wants us to chase him. And I just loved how that beautifully that illustrated what this, this woman was doing. She was chasing the Messiah, and it transformed her. And I think as we chase God, it transforms us. So, I want to close with a few implications Implication number one, we can be close to Jesus and not be transformed by him. I'm going to put that one on the, on the screen. Yeah. This one to me seems surprising because it feels like if you are touching Jesus, how can you not be transformed? But I do see from my life and from this story that it's possible to be close. This takes discernment to know whether it's our apathy or our detachment or if it's just a time where we need to be faithful as our character grows. Implication number two, when we're desperate and determined to know God, he will take care of the details. Our God invites us into his refuge and his redemption, his way. And I think that resting in that and just being desperate to know God is what our God's looking for in us. Implication three, Jesus is ready to bring you under his wings, back into community, and to provide refuge and redemption. No matter where we are in that continuum of life, whether we feel God's calling, whether we're in the gap, whether we're waiting for that fulfillment, or we feel like we're in where God is using us, he's always asking us to be under his wings, under his refuge, and he's asking us to chase after him more than we chase after anything else. So, thanks. Let's, let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your work in our lives. Thank you that you don't just leave us without, without changing us, without transforming us. Thank you for making us hungry for you. God, we ask that you would help us to recognize the things that distract us from you and that you'd give us a hunger for your word. You'd give us a hunger for um, getting together with other believers to discuss what you're doing in our lives. You'd give us a hunger for prayer. You'd give us a passion for the people in our community who are far from you. And that you would just use us in the way that you have gifted us, God. Um, if we're in that gap season, God, I pray that you would grow us. And that you would make us fit to fulfill what you've called us to do. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your patience. And that you aren't running away from us, God, but that you just want us to catch you. Amen. All right. We're going to do communion today. And um, for communion here, we serve an open table. So that means if you're willing to celebrate the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you're welcome to take part of communion. As the songs resume, um, you can just take a time and reflect and pray and then come up and grab a cup and take it back to your seat and take it uh, at your own time. I'm going to read the passage from 1 Corinthians 11. I didn't, I didn't bookmark that.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.